tongues all on the inside, but I got to maintain my composure because I'm not going to do you any good if I can't get this delivered to you today. So I want you to lift up your hands and say, God, my mind is in need of something today. I need something downloaded into my spirit that's going to give me authority and victory to walk into my destiny. God, you're trying to move me into new places, and I'm just kind of stubborn. I don't want to quite go there yet because I'm afraid, but you're going to take away the fear, and you're going to anoint me by the power of the Holy Ghost to worship you in a way that lets you know I'm ready to take that step. Now clap your hands to the Lord in Jesus' name. You can be seated. I want to take a closer look and view of a character in Scripture by the name of Daniel. Everybody say Daniel. And while this man becomes one of the most recognizable figures in all of Scripture, his story doesn't exactly begin with him. He is a faceless, nameless, unknown refugee who is taken from his homeland when his nation, his country of Judah, is bombarded by the Babylonian army. He is anonymous, undiscovered, and uncelebrated when his book begins. But never make a mistake, this book, even though you don't really see him right off the bat that, and really don't get a full view of what God's going to do in his life, it is his story. And the main character of the story is un- unidentified and concealed at the beginning of chapter 1. I want to read something to you. Listen very carefully. This is how it begins. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand along with some of the articles from the temple. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylon and put the treasure in the house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained there for three years, and after that, they were to come into the king's service. When you read the beginning of the story, Daniel is part of this mass of people that are migrated from the country of Judah into what is today modern-day Iraq, but then it was called Babylon. That nation that was unified in Israel under Saul, David, Solomon, and then Solomon's son Rehoboam is now split and fractured and splintered in two nations with two different kings. The nation of Judah is the split off. So by the time you arrive to this place in Bible history, you have ten tribes that make up the tribe of Israel, and you have two tribes that make up the tribe of Judah. Judah is the country in the story that's taken away into Babylon. Judah, like Israel, has been disobedient, and this rampant disobedience is leading them into captivity. Allow me to tell you that disobedience always leads you into captivity. 
That, that's period. No question mark. That's that you disobey. When you leave the safety of God's law, God's word, captivity is inevitable. That's what happens. And the Babylonian king named Nebuchadnezzar's come and sacked Jerusalem. He's taken a large portion of the population back to Babylon. Now, most kings didn't do that. Many kings would leave the populace in their home and set up a regime loyal to the conquering king to rule in his name. But Nebuchadnezzar takes the best the brightest, the most talented, the best bloodline without defect, and he's taken them, uh, the ones with the most talent and potential, back to his city to teach and train and eventually assimilate them in the Babylonian society. And among the captives that are being brought back to Babylon, hidden in this mass of refugees, are four boys. It's, it's, it's Daniel, it's Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. These four boys are in this large contingent that are being dragged back to Babylon. Babylon was different because the king saw something in these people. He saw something great about them. And Babylon was different in that they sought to take the best things from the lands and the people that they conquered and bring them back home and incorporate those things into their society and their way of life. And the people of Judah were known, they were known all over the world for one thing. They were known for their God. They were known for Jehovah, the powerful, almighty God. They are renowned around the world as the people of the unknown, unseen God. But don't mess with him because he's got the power to part Red Seas. He's got the power to kill your firstborn. He's got the power to send angelic hosts that you can't fight and defeat you and destroy you. Their God and the stories of their God are legendary. Their God is the one that led them and fed them for 40 years in the wilderness. Their God is the one who conquered and drove out the inhabitants of the land before them. Their God is the God that makes the sun stand still or he can make it so dark that you can feel the darkness in your land. Even the temple that Solomon built to honor him, there was nothing like that anywhere else in the world. The gold and the altar and the vessels of praise and worship. The way they ascended up to the house of the Lord to worship and praise Jehovah with dancing, music, and shouting. The kings and queens of the world came. Even the queen of the East, Sheba, came to see how these people worshiped and how they had church. And when she saw it, the Bible said she fainted. There was no spirit left in her. There was nothing like the way they had church, the way they worshiped God. And Nebuchadnezzar wanted that aspect of Hebrew life to be in Babylon. He wanted his people to worship him and his gods the way the Hebrews worshiped Jehovah. And so he rounded up the best and the brightest and anything that was connected to God, the sacred vessels of Solomon, the temple implements, the things that were holy. He brought all of that stuff in this massive caravan back to Babylon. All of those captives, all of those worshipers that he took back, he let them bring things with them. He didn't put them in chains. He, he let them bring their food. He let them bring their pottery. He let them bring things that they could, could, could use back to Babylon with them. And, and all the worshipers, he said, bring your instruments with you so that when you worship our gods, you worship 
the, our God the way you worship your God. So they liked their praise and worship. But when they got there, the psalmist tells the story of how they sat in a strange land of captivity. They sat down by a river in Babylon and they begin to weep. And they hung their harps that they used to praise Jehovah. They hung their harps on the willow trees. And when you see willows in the Bible, many times they're synonymous with tears and sadness and brokenness and loss. And so when they got to Babylon, no temple, no altar, no Ark of the Covenant, look at everything that we have lost. They hung up their harps. They hung up their instruments of worship. In a sense, they said, I'm hanging up my praise. I'm not going to praise anymore. I'm hanging up my worship. I'm not going to worship anymore. Because the psalmist said, there's no way that we can praise God while we're in captivity. When we are bound, when we are in captivity in a strange land, we're just going to hang up our harps in the willow tree. And they told themselves they had arrived in a place that they couldn't praise God. They're in such a terrible place that their praise is of no value. So I'm just going to hang up my praise and do away with it. I'm trading my song for sorrow. I'm exchanging my joy for mourning. I'm swapping my ballad of praise for a song of sadness and heartbreak. I'm replacing the dreams that I had for discouragement and depression. But I've come today for a word for you from the Lord. I don't care what you feel like you have lost. Never hang your harp up on a willow tree. I don't care where you are or what you're going through. Don't hang your harp in the willow tree. Let me help you. I don't care where you go. Take your praise with you. I'm going to say that again. I don't care where you go. Take your praise with you. Take your worship with you. Wherever life leads you, take your praise with you. Never hang your harp in a willow tree and say, I found myself in a place where I can't praise God. Honey, I don't care if you're in a prison in the midnight hour with your back beating and your feet in the handcuffs. You can still sing a song, Paul. You can still praise the Lord, Silas. And the Lord will show up in your prison. And so one of these faceless, anonymous refugees is a young boy named Daniel. Daniel ends up in Babylon, and, and, and he's captive. He's in a strange land, hundreds of miles from his homeland. And there, I don't have time to take you through every individual instance where Daniel was put to the test, but systematically, Daniel begins the process of acquiring favor in Babylon because God's hand is upon him. Daniel arrives in Babylon as a captive, but his character and his anointing are of such a degree that before God is through with him, he's second in command in all the kingdom. He came in there with nothing but a, but they took his name, they took his identity, they took his home, but they couldn't take his commitment to God and they couldn't take the favor of the Lord that was on him. And even though they changed his name to some Babylonian name, God knew who he was and they couldn't take the anointing and the favor. The king was so impressed with this boy. He said, I'm going to place you over all my high officers. Daniel is a slave, but the way he walks and his integrity and his character 
character and his anointing was of such a degree that it prompted the king of the Babylonian Empire to say, I want you to have authority over all my officers. I want to elevate you to vice president over Babylon, every, over everybody and everything that works for me. Daniel walked in such integrity that the king placed him over all of his personal interest. He trusted him with his checking account. He trusted him with his savings account. He was over the royal Facebook account, his savings account. He was over the Instagram. He was over the king's 401k and his IRA. He was so trusted by the king that he put him over all the affairs of Babylon. You're not getting this. This king, this kid that's supposed to be a slave, and yet the king places him over the very things that are supposed to enslave him because he's walking in favor and the anointing of God. Listen, child of God, the Lord will place such an anointing on you, in you, and around you that the very thing that the enemy put in your life to rule over you, to control you, you will stand up in the authority of the king and you will rule over the things that were meant to rule over you. When this book of Daniel started, we don't even know who Daniel is. He's just one of many. When you turn in your table of contents in your Bible and you see uh, Ezekiel and Hosea wedged in there between them is a book called Daniel. Turn to page 367 and you begin the story. Daniel is not even there. He's part of a mass of people who've just had their lives turned upside down. But God knew who he was and God knew what he was gonna do with his life. He needed someone to stand and walk with courage and intelligence and honor and character and reputation in the face of pagan captivity. In fact, when they arrived, God started the process. God put something in him that favored him the day he got there. The king said, I'm going to give every boy a portion of my meat and a portion of my wine. And in three years, you're going to stand before me and you're going to be tested. It was not pure according to the word of the Lord. The king's wine was not kosher for them to eat and to drink. Every other kid in the youth group was willing to defile themselves. But Daniel walked up to the captain in judgment and discernment and understanding. And he said, I can't do this. The God that I serve doesn't want me doing this. So if you'll be kind and just single me out before it was over, God opened the door for Daniel to keep the vows he had made to God, even in a place that wasn't simple pathetic to the cause of his God. What does that tell me today? That tells me there's going to be pressure on you to do things in this world that are going to bring glory to God and honor to God and the world will give you every opportunity to break your vows and breach the trust that the Lord has in you. But if you take a stand for God, God will take a stand for you. If you take a stand for God, 
God will take a stand for you. And if you will choose to walk with God, God will walk with you. And the thing that the devil intended to rule over you, God will flip the script. And before it's over, you're going to be ruling over the tutors and governors, over everything that the enemy tried to rule you with. This is what the Lord told me at my kitchen table, that whatever ruled over you in 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, and 2010 put a smile on your face because you are not who you used to be you're carrying favor honey you're walking in anointing you carry power therefore you're going to rule over the things that the enemy designed to rule over you lift your hands and say I'm in the favor of the Lord Come on, lift your hands and say, God has empowered me to walk in the favor and the anointing of the Lord. Put your hand on your chest and say, I have authority. Because even in Babylon, you are favored. Come on, you didn't hear that. Even in the middle of what the devil's trying to bind you up with, God's favor is still upon you. Even though you're walking in a place where the enemy's trying to chain you up and to hinder you, you're still walking in the favor and the anointing of God. Do you know what that says to me? Here's the message. I'm almost done. I need to quit focusing on where I am and start focusing on who I am. I'm going to say that again. Turn your hearing aid up so you can hear real good. You need to quit focus on where you are and start focusing on who you are. Just because I'm here doesn't negate God. He still calls the shots in Babylon just like he calls the shots in Judah. And just because I got put over here doesn't mean the Lord has taken his hand off me. The Lord will raise me up in the middle of a pagan heathen captivity. Let me say that to you one more time. Who you are is greater than where you are. Come on, I'm going to say it to the devil gets a migraine headache. Who you are is greater than where you are. Watch this. It doesn't matter if you find yourself in the middle of physical therapy or chemotherapy. God is still God and God is still on the throne. It doesn't matter if you're the boss on your job or you're standing in the unemployment line. God is still God. And if you're standing in the unemployment line with a thousand people, God can give you favor and in one day take you from the unemployment office to the boss's office. Your location doesn't stop your revelation. Your destiny is greater than your captivity. Who you are is greater than where you are. Your purpose will always be greater than your problem. I wish there was somebody here that would make the devil pull out some Excedrin or some Motrin and say, I thought I had them, but something clicked in their mind today. He will tell you. God will tell your purpose to activate 
and it won't matter where you are or what you are going through or how long you have been there. Nobody knew who Daniel was in the beginning, but by the end of the story, everybody in Babylon knew who he was, and everybody in Persia knew who he was, and everybody in Judah back home knew who he was, because that boy had a purpose and he had a destiny. But, but Brother B, he was in captivity. I don't care where you are. I, I identify with this story so much in my personal life, because my whole life I knew I had the favor of God on me. I grew up in a place that was so backward and so country and, and so redneck and so I'm telling you it was it's amazing that I can spell my name coming out of there the place that I was but I always knew I had the favor of the Lord upon me when I was a teenager I knew I had the favor of the Lord upon me I had favor in high school I had favor when I worked at the credit and catalog department for J.C. Penney I had favor when I was in community college I had favor when I worked on computers at the Provine where they do the yearbook pictures for the kids. I had favor then. I had favor when I was a bank teller. I had a destiny when I was a loan collection manager. I had a purpose when I worked for a vacuum cleaner company. I had favor of God when I was an insurance agent. God always had his hand on me. It didn't matter where I was or what I was doing. Watch this. I sat in offices and in cars and nobody knew me and I thought I would never get out but I never lost my passion and I never lost my faith in God's favor. I never lost sight of the fact that God had his hand on me. I never lost my dream even when I wasn't where I wanted to be and I couldn't see the hand of God on my life. I would sit in little corner offices with no windows dreaming about preaching all over the world. Brother Mallory told me, he said there are people all over the world in Pentecost that are talking about you and are talking about that church in Glenmore. I had a man call me. He said, I got off the phone with a man that was on this last crusade. He said, the Lord told me through that man. He said, this is what he said. He said, I don't know if there's a person, in, and I'm not telling you this to pin flowers on me. He said, but I don't know if there's a preacher in the UPC that God is using to preach the gospel in these foreign places like he's using Brother Goins to bring the gospel. Hear me. I'm not telling you that to tell you I'm good. I'm here to tell you that where you are is not as important as who you are and what God is going to do in your life. Brother Neesmith, you know what I'm talking about. When I first came here to this little community, I had preachers calling me from all over the United States saying, what are you doing? Why are you there? And I would tell them, God sent me here. And they said, well, I'm just going to tell you right now, you're not going to stay there. I said, well, why not? They said, your ministry is too big for that place. They said, you're, ne you're never going to stay there. 
You, you might be there two years and you're going to get aggravated because they're not going to see what you see and feel and you're going to pack your family up and leave. Get ready. You're not going to stay. And I went to my prayer closet and I told God. I said, God, every prophet that you used in the Bible came out of obscurity. One chapter, they weren't there and then you turn the page and all of a sudden here they walk on the scene and nobody knows where they came from and nobody knows who their daddy was and they don't have any connections but they've got a word from the Lord and they've got an anointing and a power and the last guy that told me that I said they're going to bury me there they're going to have to run me out with shotguns and knives and rifles and handguns because I'm not leaving until God puts that place on the map I had a guy that's never been here on this last trip walk up to me and told me he said where are you from I said, I'm, I'm, I'm from a place that's about 25 miles south of Alexandria. He said, quit saying that. I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, quit saying that. I said, well, what, what are you trying to say? Just say it. Come out and say it. Quit beating around the bush. He said, I'm going to tell you what God's getting ready to do to that place. He said, I've never been there. He said, but let me tell you what God's getting ready to do. He said, people are going to start saying that Alexandria is next to Glenmora. And that Pineville is 20 minutes from Glenmora. He said, God's favor is and light is shining on that place with what that church is doing. I don't, he said, I don't know what you're doing. But you've got the attention of heaven. And you get ready for the favor of the Lord. I'm here to tell you where you are is not as important as who you are. I bet when you told those cats in Alabama where you was going, they said, where? Who? When? What? You're leaving this for that? I'm going to tell you what the Lord's getting ready to do. The Lord's getting ready to shine favor down upon this place. And when you walk in here, all of a sudden your pocketbook's going to be blessed. And all of a sudden your healing's going to just miraculously come upon you. This place is going to be like that pool that the angel of the Lord troubles the water. And whatever you need, all you got to do is get in. I apologize for my voice. Watch this. Where you are in life does not define you. Who you are in Jesus is what defines you. Who you are in Christ is what defines you. When you are full of Jesus, nothing can stop you. But, but I'm in Babylon. Hear me. I, I'm going through a divorce. Listen, the divorce cannot stop your destiny. Well, well, the doctor gave me a bad medical report. Your medical report cannot silence the report of the Lord for your life and your destiny. Watch this. Your vertical identity trumps your horizontal reality. Who you are in heaven trumps whatever's going on in your reality in earth. Now, I can't share all the details because it's not the time, but I was having lunch with Brother Dustin uh, this week or last week, and he began to tell me about the Lord moving and blessing their life. And I, I'm not going to the details, but I'm going to tell you what he said. I can tell you this part. 
He said, but we're making moves and, and we're looking at this over here and this and we've got all these options. And he said, I was at prayer meeting and he said, the Lord spoke to me. And he said, when I bless you, and it's a blessing that comes from me, he said, I'm going to put you in a place where everybody can see it. Watch this. He said, I'm going to put you in a place where you're not second to anybody. You're not coming up behind anybody. There's nobody in front of you. There's nobody next to you. It's going to be you. I'm going to bless you in a way that everybody can see it. And when I position you, I'm going to put you in a place where everybody can see that I'm the one that did this. You didn't do this. Your realtor didn't do this. Your business acumen didn't do this. Your money didn't do this. It was God that did this. Listen to me, sunshine. God's getting ready to elevate some of you. You're going to be the poster child for his goodness his deliverance his power and his favor he's not going to sneak you out of the back door in the middle of the night he's going to walk you out the front door at noontime and all the enemy's going to be able to do is shake their head and say the lord is with them god is on their side and nothing can stop them just stand up just go ahead and stand up i'm done i gotta save some of this for tonight Brother Michael, even in Babylon, no weapon formed against me will prosper. Even in captivity, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Even in Babylon, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Even in Babylon, the devil is under my feet even in captivity, the gates of hell cannot prevail against what God has placed his favor and stamp of approval on. Quit worrying about the favor of man and stand under the favor of God. Quit worrying about the favor of your family and get under the favor of the umbrella of God. Quit worrying about who's for you and who's against you and know that if the Lord surrounds me and puts his stamp of approval on me, it doesn't matter who disapproves of me. The Lord is with me and he's fighting for me. Now, you elders don't know this, but the young people do. Come on, finish this for me, young people. Haters gonna hate. See, they, they do that. Come on. Haters gonna. That's what haters do. They hate. And all the haters in your life that the devil's given them a bullhorn to try to destroy you, the Lord is about to shut them up because you're going to be under so much favor. Even the enemies of you are going to have to stand and say, look, I, I don't like them, I don't care for them, but the Lord is with them. They're not my favorite people. I'll never be a part of them, but hear me, the Lord is, I can't deny, the Lord is on their side. Lift your hands right now and say who I am is more important than where I am. I'm preaching to some people that looked around you this week and where you are is barren and you don't see any road out and you don't see any answers for the situation you're in but God sent me to tell you quit looking around and start looking up. Your redemption's above your head. Who you are in heaven is more important than what's going on in your life in the earth. 
I'm talking to some people right now with some job situations that are in flux and you're looking around you and you don't know what to do or where to go or how to fight. You don't know whether to keep your mouth shut or open your mouth. You don't know whether to go to human resources or struggle. I'm telling you that the favor of the Lord is upon you and if you'll just stand still, God's going to do and work a miracle in that situation that you never even knew possible. That's the God that I serve. The God that I serve has his favor upon my life. It was so amazing to me that when that book started, nobody even knew who Daniel was. He's just a, he's just a boy in a group of boys. He's, he's just a kid in a sea of kids. But God had his hand upon him. And even though Nebuchadnezzar didn't know him, and even though Ashpenaz didn't know him, and even though Jehoiakim didn't know him, God knew him. And when God has placed his favor upon your life, it doesn't matter. You may be standing in this church today saying, I don't fit in, I'm lost, I, I don't understand what my purpose, what my place. God knew what your purpose was before your eyes ever squinted out of your mother's womb. God knew what your purpose was. He had a plan for your life. And you got to say to that lying devil, my purpose and my destiny is greater than where I am right now. I can take you to offices, little offices on the backside of factories that I worked in. Didn't have anything but a desk, a chair, and a computer. And I would bring my little, back then, now see kids don't know about this today, but I would bring my little Sony Walkman. It had the AA batteries in it. It would last about two or three. I went through a million dollars. I spent my whole salary on batteries. But they, they would let me shut the door and I could just work and be in there and nobody would bother me. And I would just put on tape after tape after tape after tape after tape. I had tapes coming out of my ears. You open the door to my truck and tapes hit the floor. I had tapes everywhere. I was listening to preachers saying, God's got his hand on you. And what you're doing today, David, you might be on the backside of a desert today tending sheep. But God's getting ready to raise you up to the palace and put his anointing on your life. And I would sit there in those little rooms and the Holy Ghost would flow in there while I was doing my work. And I have to stop and have a praise break about every hour or two because the power of the Lord would fill that place. And I would would think the devil would whisper in my ear and say but look at where you are you're making minimum wage nobody knows who you are nobody knows what you're doing uh, nobody sees you in the back corner in this little office with one door and no windows but God saw me and God knew what my heart was uh, and God knew what the favor was uh, and God knew what the plan was if you'll stay the course the hand of the Lord is going to move on you and God's going to pull you out of that place Joseph uh, you're in a pit today you're in a prison today uh, but get ready. God's got a corner office with your name on it. God's going to anoint you with favor and purpose like you've never known before. Stand with me. I want you to come out of your pew, every single solitary one of you. I don't care if you got the Holy Ghost or not. You got purpose. I don't care if you, even before you got the Holy Ghost, you had purpose. Even before I got baptized, I had purpose. Even before I acknowledged there was a God in heaven, I had a destiny. I want you to come down here right now and just find you a place. Lift your hands, kneel, whatever you do, and say, God, I'm here acknowledging that where I am is nothing compared to who I am. And that who I am trumps where I am. 
and that I may be in captivity right now. I may feel like I'm shackled right now, but you hear me. God's got a plan for my life. And God's going to put his favor and his anointing and his power upon me. And it doesn't matter what the devil says or my haters say or the people that don't like me say. Just let him keep fighting against me. It doesn't matter. Because if God is for me, who can be against me? Put your arm around somebody close to you right now and just begin to pray. Hey, God is on our side. God is fighting for us. God is fighting for us. Don't get discouraged. Don't get weary in well-doing. Your reaping season is on the way. God is about to open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that moves you from the back of the line to the head of the line. Come on, lift your hands. Put your arms around somebody and say, I don't know what you're going through, but the Lord has got his favor upon your life. And you may have more questions than answers today, but God's got his favor on your life. God has his favor upon you. And God's going to open the door. And God's going to pull you out of that pit and out of that prison. God's going to put you at the head of the line, at the front of the class. God's going to do more with you than you ever thought possible. name of the Lord I speak the favor of the Lord upon you right now I speak the favor of the Lord upon your life right now raise your hands up and say God I receive that I receive you're on my side you're fighting for me in the name of Jesus Raise your hands for 30 seconds and give God high praise in this place. For 30 seconds and give God high praise. Lord, I'm moving from the back to the front. From the bottom to the top. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise.
Brother Ansel, I want you to look at me. This is what the Lord said, and I don't mean to embarrass you, but the devil needs to hear this. The Lord said your whole life you felt like you've been at the bottom. Your whole life you feel like others have been ahead of you, even in your own family. That God has always looked down on you, the devil has told you, and you're never going to be anything. But the Lord spoke to me while I was praying yesterday. And he said, you tell that man. He said, I'm placing favor upon his life. And the people that never believed in him and that told him he would never amount to anything, they're going to have to stand back in awe at the favor of the Lord. Because I'm going to bless his home. I'm going to bless his family. I'm going to bless his health. I'm going to bless his finances. I'm going to make him the head and not the tail. Come on. I'm speaking under the unction of the Holy Ghost right now. And that goes for some of you. You've been at the back all of your life, but the Lord is fixing to move you to the front of the line, honey. God's getting ready to put favor in your life. name of Jesus. Come on, one more time. Hands lifted. Voices lifted. Lord, your power is greater than any device of the devil that he would bring against me. Tonight, I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to give you the reason. You're asking, well, why is God doing this? Why is God bringing me? I'm going to give you the reason tonight why all this is happening. Tonight, I'm going to give you the secret as to why God has favored you and why God is letting you walk through the places that you've walked in order to lift you up and to bring glory to your situation through his power. Tonight, I'm going to tell you why you've been anointed and why you've been favored because I look at myself, I know you do too, and say, why me? Why me? Who am I? What am I? What what in the world does God want with me? I'm going to give you the secret tonight as to why God is doing everything that he's doing and here's a little hint. It's bigger than you and it's bigger than me and it's bigger than this congregation God's got a purpose that goes so far above what we see and understand I want you to lift your hands and say God put me in the middle of your will put me in the middle of your will I may have to walk through valleys, through trials, through captivity, furnaces, lion's den, all of that, God. I may have to go through storms and trials and sickness, but it's going to be for a purpose. You're anointing me for a purpose. In the name of Jesus, clap your hands to the Lord. What a God we serve.